Good morning, everybody. I'm Charlie Fink with Ted Chilowitz. It's This Week in XR, Friday, July 22nd, 2022. Good morning, Ted. Morning, Charlie. Uh, we're going to pick up some more listeners because I've been at Comic-Con all week and I did a panel yesterday on, of course, the topic du jour, what does the metaverse mean, <laughs> all things related to Comic-Con. So we talked about, you know, the empowering artist side of 3D virtual worlds? You're right at home at Comic-Con. Where would that fit? Uh, <laughs> but uh, a lot of people asked, where do I learn more? And I said, you know, Charlie Fink and I, uh, a good friend of mine does a column for Forbes and a uh, professor for Chapman and does all this other great stuff. He and I do this weekly column, really. And then so uh, I would imagine we'll pick up some more listeners. All right. Well, welcome to those people from Comic-Con. Uh, let's take care of some housekeeping. First of all, our guest today is Matt Meisnikes, CEO and co-founder of Living Cities XYZ. Um, uh, as you recall, he was on the show with John Guetta. I think we may have even done a special episode with Matt. Yep. And he's in so the XYZ Matt, world. So there we go. <laughs> yeah. And he was uh, also the founder of 60AI, a computer vision company, uh, which uh, hopefully we can ask him about. They exited with a sale to Niantic uh, in 2020, right at the beginning of lockdown, which is kind of a crazy, great timing for them. Um, we have a new sponsor, as you know, Zapper. Um, and uh, let me uh, get the Zapper boilerplate done. Uh, and maybe we, I'll comment on it because I, I have to cut this out of last week's and, and give it to them because they're going to make some kind of a new fun video sting for us because okay. they, are, they are in part an agency. Right. Um, and uh, in addition to being an agency, uh, a creative studio, uh, they have a web-based app called Zapworks, uh, so you can make your own AR applications. Uh, and then they have this crazy uh, mixed reality headset. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's kind of a holder for a cell phone, like those early AR headsets. Yeah, sort of a, a, a DIY kind of headset, but it works quite well. And, it's and made it, out of cardboard. The original was made out of cardboard and it was a bit, I'm gonna say origami. Uh -huh. It took some patience, but you could make these plastic controllers or wands yep. that were really being tracked, you know, cause they had QR codes on them that are being tracked. Uh, and it was, it was clever as heck. And their new one is a lot sleeker and a lot sort of snap, more snap and go. Yeah, it's, all, it's, it's more plastic and puts together. Yes, and, and, uh, and again, their motto was magic leap for super cheap. So, so welcome to Zapper. Didn't do a very good job of reading it there, but if I didn't really like these guys, they wouldn't be. No, I thought that was actually much more authentic. That's the right way to do it. Yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, and uh, by the way, thanks to Verbella who is hanging in there with us. Uh, they need to renew. So Verbella, we need you. <laughs> there you go. All right, let's get to the news, Ted. All right, fire away. Kind of a slow week, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but there were a, a couple of fun things that happened uh, in, the, in the way of hard news. Uh, mm -hmm. A little company called Hologram, which has to be the worst name for a company on the face of the earth. You may as well name your company Camera, because yeah. you will not find these guys on the web. <laughs> I promise you, but they're out there. And it's actually really cool. Uh, they just raised $6.5 million. You can use turn your NFT into a lip-syncing avatar for video streaming and Zoom calls and so forth. So pretty cool, 6.5 million, not a bad haul for a small company. Yeah, so really good, good luck to them. There was, a, there was a precursor to that, a company called Lumi Live that was doing something like that. And I think they got absorbed by one of the big tech giants. Maybe yeah, I think they got bought by Apple. Oh, is it Apple or Google? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Google, 
uh, on the AR headset front. Uh, you remember they introduced almost as an afterthought these glasses at the end of their uh, developer conference, and they really look like you know normal plastic rim glasses, far less stylish than the Ray Ban stories. But they're going to do a little more. And, and I love this story because, as you know, I have been an AR skeptic. I did not think people would have them on all the time the way our friend Roni did, uh, because simply because there's not enough to do. Mm -hmm. So unless it's spectacular at vision correction, uh, I don't know that I would wear them every day. It has to take what I'm already doing and make, make it better. Yeah. So Google has zeroed in on those things. And they've said, yes, but. When traveling, you might wear them for translation. Yeah. Uh, you know, in a business meeting, you might wear them for transcription. So I, I think there are applications for this out there that are uh, very compelling. I don't know if they're all day, every day, or all day sometimes, but I think Google is onto something here. Well, and if you, if you look at it through the lens of a Google that has effectively unlimited wherewithal to keep working and iterating on something, I think that's the right approach. And all you have to do is take a little step backward and look at the evolution of how we used our smartphones, right? In the precursor days, when we, you know, the beginnings of smartness on a phone with T9 texting and stuff, and you started to go, oh, there's a few things I can do with this. And then developers leaned into it and then redeveloped and reworked and reworked and reworked until you eventually got this device that you used more than you didn't, right? And, and that was, probably a 15 plus year journey um, yeah. to this extraordinarily robust app store with all these things. So I think the companies that can afford it will just keep working on this over time. And of course we have this belief structure that Apple is doing that even without releasing a product. They're just keep working on it and working on it until they find those five or six things that are so compelling to do that people will actually want the device. And then those five things turn into 10, turn into 20, turn into hundred, turn into a thousand, turn into a million, right? Uh, and before you know it, we remember the day of, yeah, we remember when computers looked like this and we remember when. <laughs> that's right. And I think uh -huh. that's the trajectory. So I think Google, for all their wherewithal, is on the right track of just keep gnawing at the problem and you'll find the five things that people will want to use with that device. And we also know that industrial side, enterprise side is already using, you know, mixed reality in various forms. Yes, I will say, but I will say this about the enterprise side. It has gone way more slowly than anybody predicted. I think there are companies, you know, we talked to Accenture last week, mm -hmm. uh, and I think there are companies out there pushing it, but it just shows you how hard change is and how long it takes for new tools to be sure. adopted. So it's sort of happening, but I, I mean, I think it hammered Microsoft. I think they were, you know, when we look back on their X, XR strategy, we'll, we'll praise them for being forward looking, but, but it'll be a cautionary tale about how they overinvested too early and now they're in a trial of disillusion at the moment when the other people are scaling up. Starting to pick up, right? But that, that's a tale as old as time, right? Yes. The yes. idea that uh, you know companies will find a trajectory, miss that trajectory, but if they've got enough capital and enough resources, well, they right. can you know, reload their right. weaponry. When you're Microsoft, you have an unlimited number of at-bats. Correct, correct. So uh, last story. Uh, a company called Meta, uh -huh. has, Meta IS has come yeah. out of the woodwork to yeah. sue Meta, yeah. and they're suing not just for trademark, but for damages, mm -hmm. because they're saying being associated with Facebook is damaging their reputation. 
Now, of course, once upon a time, there was a company named Meta. Yeah. And it was an AR headset company founded by Marin Griffiths with uh, on the premise that uh, there are too many screens in our lives, particularly at work, and we want to consolidate them and make it easier to work with them. So it's a desktop uh, replacement play that that as we were just discussing in the context of Microsoft didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And of course, uh, they, unlike a Microsoft, had no room to pivot. They had no time to pivot. It was VR winter, which was sort of the, the winter and spring of 2018, and no one in VR because there was no Quest headset and, uh, you know, PC VR is a prosumer product. Mm-hmm. So people were suddenly pulling back on the enthusiasm that started in 2016. So they didn't get financing and everything they owned went into bankruptcy. And there was a liquidation, you know, the the creditors and investors uh, liquidated the assets, as they say in the bad side of startups. Uh, So they auctioned off, or essentially people made closed bids to the court for their intellectual property, their trademarks and their technology. Now our friend Jay Wright, uh, who's a fantastic entrepreneur and founded Euphoria, Pick this up, right? Picked, picked he up picked it up and, and created Campfire, mm-hmm. uh, which is a remote design collaboration tool. Very, very interesting company. Right, and starting to work. And he's starting yeah. to get real Yeah, clients. he's getting traction that, that Meta never could because they were out of time. They were out of pivots. So the trademark was purchased by Facebook, mm-hmm. thinking that, you know, eh, for $10,000, maybe someday it'll be something. Mm-hmm which big companies own all sorts of yeah, yeah, trademarks yeah. and brands and buy domains and never do anything with them. Uh, so they're now suing the real Meta. Of course, here's their problem for Meta IS. They've been around since 2016 and they did not sue or put on notice, although we don't know this, the, uh, it hasn't been disclosed. They did not sue the other Meta. Yeah. <laughs> well, last time i checked you and i are not lawyers so we're not uh, so it's we're so much money. it's it's they're kind of they're going to get paid they're, they're, these things yeah, always yeah, get settled you know there was some smart attorney that was like you know it, it, it's actually much easier for meta to probably just settle this and give it, it, you some paltry sum which will be significant enough and you know, yes yeah, exactly for for uh, a little company like meta is soon to be renamed. <laughs> Let's bring in Matt. He's in the waiting room. All right. Well, this will take us to a more positive place. Exactly. So. Matt. Morning, Matt. How are you? Hello. Hey. Hey, Charlie. Hi, Ted. Good to see you. Good to see you. You've been busy. Very. Yes. Both you moved across the country. <laughs> Moved cross country as well. Where to? Where did you move to? Uh, Manhattan. I mean, New oh, York. good. You're East Coast. Excellent. So, what was the motivation? San Francisco to Manhattan. It seems like people like to go the other way. Uh, so, we moved to the US like 12 or 13 years ago. And at the time, it was a toss up, like literally a coin toss between moving to New York for the, you know, the big city lifestyle or San Francisco for, um, you know, just to go all in on tech. And I was, you know, the reason we were moving to the US at the time was to start a company. And we had two little toddlers at the time. So we just thought San Francisco is probably going to be a a better place for the next couple of years. But 
you know, once the kids start school and you have one company leads to the next company, you're kind of there for probably longer than I expected to be. But it was, yeah, it was fantastic. It was one of the first places I ever felt totally at home in that sort of tech scene. And, um, but when 6D was acquired um, and my son was had to change schools anyway, going into high school, it just was a perfect opportunity to either move now or wait till they're in college. So right. we, we made the jump. Got it. Good. And well, tell I us love what living you've been doing with your, your bi-coastal trajectory. What's, what's the latest? Well, you mentioned, uh, you know, 60i, so you'll, so you'll have to give us a little background on, on that, but obviously we want to know the current state of what you're working on. Yeah, well, well 60 was um, acquired by Niantic uh, just over two years ago. Um, you know, obviously the vision of that company was to build technology to let regular mobile phones crowdsource a 3D map of the world. And the reason we thought that was an important thing to pursue was that, um, you know, this idea of the mirror world or the AR cloud or, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it, but this idea of a, um, a pedestrian scale 3D map of the whole world was going to be, you know, fundamentally necessary for um, the next gen of, you know, AR and, and spatial computing applications to, to run on top of. So, um, so that was great. And then I took, you know, took about a year off. And then last year was really starting to think about what, what do I want to do next. And I, I didn't want to work at a big company. I, I felt like this, this vision of the, of the mirror world, um, you know, still hadn't been realized. Um, but we had a good look you know, through the acquisition process. We had a good insight into what all the major platforms were working on and you know, why they wanted 16 and where they're up to. And what I really realized was that no one really had a good opinion as to what to do with these maps, like as they're being built, like we're already seeing them, like Apple Maps has already got cities in 3D and, and Google Earth and Google Maps are going more into 3D. So we think it's not that long until, um, you know, this is 3D maps available, but beyond, you know, point to point walking directions or just, you know, passively looking at, you know, the house you grew up in, um, there wasn't too many use cases for them. And we'd prototyped a bunch of use cases at 6D and thought we had some, you know, some insights there. So the new company we started, it's called Living Cities. Um, and it's really all about how do you, you know, how do you capture a real place um, in a, you know, photorealistic live 3D way and then build use cases on top of that. Well, we saw a good illustration of that in the Facebook, in the meta movie, right? People are playing ping pong in the park Yep. Yep. Exactly. That sort of thing. And, and but what, what we really, I think the insight that's, um, that for me made a ton of sense, but it wasn't intuitive was that all AR applications up to this point, like all of them are all about um, go to a place, like go to the park and then figure out how to play ping pong there, or, you know, trying to put a Pokemon on every street corner in the whole world, you know, to turn it on. And, and it was all about, pushing the content out to people where they were in the world. And, you know, we realized that was probably doing things backwards. Um, you were actually better off starting with a, a capture of the world and then anyone virtually can come to that capture of the world. And, you know, you then have a lot of people in, in a virtual place, you know, a real place, I guess. And you could then make applications with, you know, from your desk at home. You didn't need to go to the park and, and do the scan and try and make a ping pong game there. So that, that sort of flipping things on the head and starting with the map. And then the trick then was to align that map 
using the visual positioning system with the real world so that any content that you placed into the, the map would also be visible in the real world in the same place. Presumably with glasses. Yeah. Yeah, one day with glasses, but the you know the the big the good thing is you you can sit at home on a on a PC or a web browser or something or just an app on your phone, and still engage with that space as if you know as if it's kind of the love child of Google Earth and Roblox. Right. Well, it's a location based thing, right? You you would go there specifically to do that thing. Well, yeah, but it's we take you can take the location to you at home. That's right. the that's right. The but would you be you know, visible? Would you be visible in that space to other people or only yep. people who are in the simulation with you? Like if Both. I'm physically Both. in that place, Both. can I interact with people who are virtually in that place? Yes, that is the magic. So if you are if you're physically in the place, you'll show up in the map, you know, similar to the way if you open Google Maps right now, you get a little blue dot, you know, a little pigman, you know, showing where you are in the map, but it's, you know, it's low accuracy, low fidelity, and, but in ours, actually a full avatar, you know, like a, like a game avatar mm -hmm. will show up in the 3D map, you know, where you are in the real world, but also there'll be virtual people there as well that you can communicate back and forth between them. So presumably using a either a handheld device or a head-mounted display, but like I said, it'd be location-based. Yep. I would know to go to this park to do this thing. If if, if you wanted the physical, you know, there's, there's, there's two types of experience. One's the sit at home on the couch, virtual avatar. The other is physically present. And we're, we're you know, the, the fun part for us right now, the, un, the unknown is no one's really ever um, tried to have been able to solve or solve that problem. Oh yeah, before. no, this is, a, this is I'm completely in, theoretical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, it's how do you, how does a real person in a place and a virtual person in the same place interact? You know, how do they interact? Why would they interact? Both of them have got different, you know, incentives and motivations, um, and that's the fun, you know, UX side of what we're building. And we think if we can unlock that, you know, that interaction engagement, then everything else becomes possible. Like every possible use case, from mm -hmm. you know, utility to enterprise to entertainment, opens up, and you can then start expanding geographically to more and more locations as well. So, if it need, does it need to be live? Is that an important aspect of it? The important aspect for us and why we think a lot of the online, you know, metaverse type places today, uh, you know, aren't that engaging, like one reason, is that um, world building is a really, really hard thing to do, you know, to do it well. And very rarely does, you know, whether they're writing a novel or a film or a game or anything, but, but making a world that's rich and believable and engaging is, is hard. And most of the online metaverse places haven't really I mean, they barely even tried let alone succeeded at um, building a, a world but the real world you get all of that world building for free you know hundreds of years of history culture communication styles music clothes shops like vegetation climate all that stuff you kind of just get it for free and so our, what's important to us is how do you not just capture what a place looks like like in google street view or google earth but more what a place feels like. And that is the sort of the living in the living cities is how do you get that as close to a, a live um, feeling in a place that, you know, really hasn't been experienced before that sense of presence, but in a, in a physical place. Yeah. So, so it, it doesn't need to be, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, we, we think being real time is important. Oh, sorry. 
No, it's all right. Uh, you guys are, you know, sort of discussing it. And you, you touched on what I wanted to ask you was through the lens of what a lot of people know, because it's, it's a little, even a little hard for me to wrap my head around it. I think Charlie, too, would try to wrap yeah. our head around what you're doing. Um, you touched on Google Street View, right, which is an interesting experience because you can, you know, go to a place and, oh, click on Street View. Okay, now I can see that they actually took a physical camera and recorded that area at a, at a moment in time. And it's, you know, some with some degree of frequency. And then Google did a really interesting experience bringing Google Maps into VR. And you can sort of fly around to different cities and it'll auto-generate and build. It takes a little time and it builds it. But you're taking it one step further. And I think what we're trying to get to is what is the one step further part? So you're bringing an avatar in. You can move around inside those real world environments, as it were. Others can gather. And then you can play an instance of some sort of game or an adventure or scavenger. Just say hello. <laughs> What's that? Yeah, just say hello. Just say hello. Yes. Just say hello, as you would do if like Charlie and I met up in Central Park and say, oh, let's meet up at Central Park at eight o'clock and we'll hang out and we'll have a coffee. Um, we could meet, Matt, you and I could meet in you know, a park in New Zealand and have a coffee and, and chat and play chess or backgammon or something like that. Is that sort of Yeah, the... exactly. Like, okay. like, like I could physically be there and you guys could virtually show up. And, right. and the, the idea of li you know, being live allows you know, real people to be there because I'm, okay. I'm, you know, uh, you know, my, my blog post announcing the company, I talked about, you know, reality is scarce and time is scarce as well. So I can only be in one place at one time physically. So we want the virtual world to be as close to reality as, as we can get it. Okay. Um, so and then does, there's different, so Matt, it different gets aspects. Filled, just help me understand, it gets filled up with little sensors that are live. Well, that's, so live, live isn't like a binary it's live or it's not it's it's what data is available to us in, in a particular location um so simple things you know we can look up the position of the sun the weather you know the wind we can probably get rough estimates of pedestrian population vehicle traffic in that area like just estimates and you know some maybe some audio um, like on a, on a loop of that place and that'll feel pretty good mm -hmm. um if we've got you know, access to say security cameras of a private place, like a, mm -hmm. like a theme park or something. We can then use computer vision. We can start analyzing actual, you know, actual people, like where they are in that real mm -hmm. time and maybe render them as, an, as a different avatar, fantastical avatar in the virtual mm -hmm. world. Um, maybe you've got access to sensors about machinery or a, a roller coaster. You can have the position of the cars on the track, like actually matching where they are. And, and so that sense of liveness is, a, is like an infinite rabbit hole to go down. Um, and we're exploring, you know, how far down that rabbit hole do you need to go for things to feel right, to feel like you're there. Yeah, it's interesting. I guess the, the perspective I was thinking is that the way this gets used now, what you're talking about, is for various life events, weddings, bar mitzvahs, sad events like funerals. Uh, this, and, and this is obviously driven a lot by the pandemic, kind of blossomed this a lot, is you know, there were people that would go physically to the place to do the to do the event, and then a lot of people that couldn't make it for whatever reason. So you yeah. know, people hold up their yep. phones and they and they video chat in, they FaceTime them or they Zoom them, and they yep. feel like they're part of it, right? But you're still just doing it through the yeah. little yeah. box of the phone. You're sort yeah. of taking this one step further, and you believe that the wearable device will be the the key that sort of unlocks that fully. Like today, we're still just holding the phone, right? So it's so we can have yeah. a lens. Yeah. There. Yeah. yeah, definitely. The, I mean, long term, it's this is clearly a play that's going to be completely ready and ready for headsets, whether VR headsets at home or AR headsets yep. out and about. Um, but initially, you know, we're, we're not 
betting on that, we're not banking on those devices. We're, we're really building the next couple of years for you know flat screen devices. And you know, I don't think that you know that hold the phone up AR experience in a in a park or somewhere is really going to be that engaging. Um, tiny field of view, tiny field of view, yeah. paper hanger syndrome. Exactly. Yeah. So we, we're not even we're not even like we have zero expectation of that being a engaging feature. And instead, we're working on other ways to use the phone as a you know, input capture broadcast device, um, more so than a, you know, than I look through the screen when I'm there. It's, it's more a case of if I'm physically in a place, I'm gathering content, you know, what my phone sees, what I'm doing, what, what I'm talking to, and then I'm, I'm reflecting that back up into the mirror world. Can you get a basic map and work off of that from, say, Niantic? Does their Lightship uh, platform offer you that opportunity? No one, no one has a map that does that has the APIs that we need right now. It doesn't exist. Um, so, for the beginning, we've picked a very small part of downtown New York, and we're activating that. We're building a map. I mean, I think that would be crazy, hand. right? If you could build a place in the real world where people are walking around, going like yeah. this, and interacting, uh, people walking yeah. by are going to be like, "What the heck? Can I do that?" Yeah, what's going on? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and, uh, you know, at some point we will, you know, we do, we don't want to be a mapping company. We don't want to compete with Google Maps or Apple Maps or, or Snap or Niantic, but we want to really, at some point, partner with one or multiple of those companies and they'll provide kind of the low fidelity, you know, ground truth of, of large geographies. And then we'll be able to push our, you know, application or our, you know, our um, interaction layer on top of that. Very interesting. Um, so, yeah. so how long do you think it'll take and what kind of a company, how big does the company have to be to meet this challenge? Yeah, what's, what's exciting for, you know, for me personally and for really all of us who have joined, like and everyone who's joined the company has been thinking about this problem for a long time. Like not just John Gatta you know, and Dennis Crowley, my co-founders, or, you know, like me, been thinking about it for decades. Um, but even, you know, everyone, you know, all the engineers and creatives and you know, leadership in the company. And what excites us all is that it's one of those things that if we can thread the needle, we can see a way to this being a, you know, a fang sized business at some point, you know, we will end up with this, you know, an application layer for the whole world and lots and lots of applications running on top of it and our own applications running on top of it. And, you know, that's a very, very big company. Um, but the, in the short term, the medium term, what we need to solve is, is firstly, you know, getting that sense of presence in a, in a place. And secondly, getting that, um, you know, that interaction between real and virtual. And, and once we've unsolved solved those, we'll have, a, we'll have basically a, a social product that works, you know, in, in one, one place. And then we think about growth in terms of more geographies supporting more simultaneous users and more and more use cases for applications. In those you know, Charlie, what, what I was thinking of as you guys were talking was uh, through our friend Matthew Ball's book um, from where we did the talk with him a couple of weeks ago. He, in his book, goes into quite a significant amount of depth around the Microsoft Flight Simulator and the fact that yeah. there's this incredibly extensive detailed layers of all the different flight data that is actually real and all the world data that is actually real inside that product over many, many years increased in its fidelity and the amount of material. So it's, it's a true simulation. It's not just a game simulation of it's kind of like, you're actually pulling the real weather data, 
right. real topography data, yeah. and you're in a simulation flying a plane, flying a jet or a small plane inside these data fields that are actually what would happen if you were yeah. really in that plane. So it sounds like you're you're taking that sort of strategy Very. and allowing it to be more than just a flight simulator, which is kind of amazing when you think about uh, the uh, scope. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. Like, flight simulators, you know, a good, a good metaphor because, um, you know, we don't, what we don't want is our, our maps of the real world just to be a, a pretty background, you know, like they are in the Spider-Man game or a Call of Duty game or something. You know, it looks like a Paris or wherever else, New York, but it's just, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a background. It's a set. But in Flight Simulator, yeah, but in, in Flight Simulator, it really matters that Heathrow or JFK Airport is actually JFK Airport. And that is where the fun comes from. And no one's ever really taken that approach for a, you know, social, pedestrian scale you know product and that's what we're trying to do and honestly if, if we could have called the company SimCity I think we would have that's cool that's great I think the interesting implications here are of course when we talk about the metaverse we are talking about something that contains not just the uh, virtual worlds but the physical world as well and it also yeah. goes to this issue of uh, skeuomorphism Remember that word, Ted? Yes, it's yes. imitating it's things in the real life, in real life, yeah. right? So where are we really headed in the metaverse? Because clearly some of it will be modeled on real life and some of it will be totally fantastical and be places with, without gravity where you're not even a person anymore. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it, the idea is that in the metaverse, you can go to both places or blend them together in some way mm -hmm. so that the blob... Yeah without gravity can be in a real place. Yeah. Yes. That's skeuomorphism is a great, you know, a great term that we've thought about a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I think the, you know, the, 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 what do I say? The reason skeuomorphism can be good, you know, and obviously lots of designers hate it and stuff, but it is really useful when trying to introduce people to a completely new conceptual paradigm. You know, they just have nothing to, grasp onto when you when you talk about fantastical world with no gravity and dinosaurs and, and like I, I just can't get my head around that but if you say it's Times square they go oh I, I can understand that and um that is certainly you know how we think about it, that's the starting point like like ground truth layer zero you know it is i guess a skeuomorphic as you know real highly realistic highly familiar um, representation of a real place but as I said, you know, we start expanding these use cases. You can start, you know, there's obviously enterprise and you know virtual tourism or gaming, you know, all these types of use cases that are kind of about the real world. But you can get to you know, new layers where you start to modify the world. And you know, say so you're, you're like Neo in the Matrix. You can make your walk through walls, or you can fly, oh, or you can turn well, every tree into cotton candy. So okay, so. Uh, the meta, the matrix is a, a good thing to bring up because it was photorealistic, right? So, yeah. you know, it was hard to tell which walls you could walk through and which walls you couldn't. Yes, that's exactly it. And we try not to, I mean, obviously, you know, with, with John on the team, the matrix is a, you know, we, we will have a lot of product planning conversations that we, we actually almost like we're quoting. From for for people who are listening, one of the co-founders is John Guetta, who was one of the uh, people who engineered the special effects in the Matrix movies. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And yes, 
Um, but you know, he's also very quick to point out that the you know the Wachowskis made that film as a warning, not a how-to guide. <laughs> and we are, you know, we're sort of very um, very conscious as we as we build a lot of these uh, capabilities that you know you can you can see a tangent that's very dystopian mm. if everything goes wrong for us. Yeah. Um, but we're you know we're sort of very sensitive that it's our values as a team that are going to be reflected in this product. And we need to be very conscious about you know, product choices we make, and um, even things like like one of our advisors was a, a senior designer on Facebook Horizons. You know, he just said one thing that was important. He said, "Be very careful who you let have access to the creator tools in your product, mm. because whoever has access to the creator tools is going to define the culture of your product." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, that's a good point because we obviously we don't want to build." Um, a replica of a, of a castle in Scotland and then all of the people creating content are Chinese soccer fans and there's no now there's no connection between the virtual culture and the real culture so we're thinking through if we if we do want to reflect that feeling of the place we want to make sure that a lot of the content that's created also is you know true to that um, you know that culture of the place and so these are the sorts of questions that we're we're trying to think through from a values point of view and trying to how do we avoid this going right. down so the the, you know, the issue is tunnel. should the space who who should populate the space in times yes. downtown new york should it be uh chinese people or russian speaking people or people who sound like they're from new york exactly not of course people who i mean let's not we could say people from new york yeah. really are from all over but i think the expectation would be if you yeah. were accessing it from somewhere yeah. that there would be new yorkers there yeah, exactly. And even even like Upper East Siders versus you know, yeah, downtown in what you used to. Right, with all the nuance that comes along with it. Right. So downtown yeah. Wall Street, right? Yeah. Upper Upper West Side rich people, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Matt, um, well, that's an interesting place to land on, you know, the idea that the, the things you have to tackle. And it's funny because, you know, when we had Neil Stevenson on, he his his vision of the metaverse in the book was dystopian uh, mostly, you know, sort of an interesting yep. Yep. sort of take on what what is happening uh, in that in that science fiction. But now he's in the real world trying to navigate, you know, what he was sort of giving us the forewarning of. So you're you're kind of you and you know yeah. John and Neil are kind of in an interesting conundrum. Right? But I would say I would say this about yes. that though, it's not the technology that was evil in Snow Crash. Yeah. It's people. Right. Yeah. What people do with it? Yeah. Absolutely. So anyway, but we can, we can end lesson. there because people are always the problem and always the solution. Exactly. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's why we, it's why we um, are building the type of product that we, we are because, you know, obviously a lot of the metaverse products that are out there are kind of got gaming, you know, close to the heart oh, yeah. of what they are, are doing. Um, and we've been very, you know, very explicit that we're, we're building basically all the technology in an MMO game, you know, as if it is an MMO game. But when we don't want to build a game, we actually want to build a social platform you know, in, a, in a broad, using a broad brush. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is, um, you know, the, the communication industry is orders of magnitude, you know, bigger than the entertainment industry. Mm -hmm. And you know, everything from the money we spend on our, our Verizon bill through to, you know, the size of Facebook and these sort of social companies. And all of those, you know, the TikToks, the Snaps, Instagrams, like all of those companies are about how do I express myself to another person? 
know, either in text or video or voice, or um, we think that that's eventually going to become in 3D. And so how do you express yourself in 3D? And we're really excited by, you know, exploring that more than, oh, here's a, here's a game with a, with a progression and an objective and you, you kind of build it up. So, so the, the idea of building a sandbox that lets you play around with self-expression is kind of the heart of the first use case that mm. we're, we're exploring. So it's totally interesting, interesting because you, um, you know, you mentioned if you could call your company SimCity, you would have. And as you're talking, <laughs> I'm thinking about our friend Philip Rosedale mm. and Second Life and the aspirations yeah. of Second Life with the technology of the time that he had to create that. You're kind of taking another swing at Second Life, but sort of bringing Second Life and First Life together into one life, right? Which yeah, yeah, kind of exactly. And that is very, yeah, very exactly. snow crash. Yeah, that is very snow crash. So here we are, Charlie. Our tapestry, the web that we weave is very interesting. <laughs> We're trying to learn about how to no, no. do this. And Beth, thank, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, it's great to see you as always. Uh, perhaps I will see you in the real next time I'm on the right coast. Yes. Yeah. So. All right. Thanks, Thanks everybody guys. for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye.